Awesome. Thanks for popping on, Greg. Yeah, no I problem. appreciate Thanks you taking the time, me. man. So one of the things that I thought was interesting is that you seem to be a guy who's kind of like, I don't want to say the opposite of myself, but if I'm like the kind of new breed or the transplant or the, I don't know, people have used the term like adult onset hunter, you seem to be more of like the traditional kind of BC guy. So I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit of like what your background is and kind of how you grew up and, and how hunting came when it like kind of played a role in. Yeah, if you could just dive into that. that yeah, would no, sounds good. Um, I was born into a hunting family. My my dad instilled the outdoors into us right from day one. Um, and he got his drive for the outdoors from his dad. Uh, we never, never had the opportunity to meet. He died when my dad was 10, so my dad never really got to hunt with him, but he always fished with him. The actual, the last picture of my grandpa was 10 days before his death was him with a big bull moose up North. So it was, that was it. That was, that's the only, that's the the picture that's burned into my head is the flannel, the, the jeans just standing there ear to ear grin. And then 10 days, 10 days later, he got in an accident at work and yeah, my, my, my dad took some time off from the outdoors and then he ended up, getting tied in with a friend who is like an uncle to me and they started hunting and then, you know, years go by, I'm born. (laughs) Then, uh, our growing up, we never, we never got to go hunting with dad until we were 10. So our 10th, 10th birthday was something we looked forward to. It was, your 10th birthday. And how many is in your family? You got one brother for sure. Any others? Yeah. Or is it just two and then I, I've got a sister. She doesn't hunt. Okay. She, she fishes, but, uh, okay. Or she fished, uh, but. So for you and your brother, 10 is a big deal. 10, 10 was a, a big deal. That was, you're going to get your core course. You're going to get yep. a rifle. Uh, I got a Ruger 30 on six was my first gun. That's actually, I gave it to my son on his 10th birthday. So it's, that gets passed down. It was pretty pretty good um and then and if you, know, you and were you born and raised in the lower mainland or did you go down here later uh born and raised in the lower mainland maple ridge okay, okay. yeah so actually well, I wasn't born in maple ridge but that's they decided to drive to a different hospital to have me so <laughs> all right fair <laughs> enough yeah um yeah then you know uh you started off deer hunting i uh, shot my first deer at 11 um uh, i had many many great mentors with that. Like we 13 years old was our, our big trip. So aside from 10, when you turn 13, you're going on a two week moose hunt. Okay. So we, and so are you doing like local blacktail and stuff for, for dinner between 10 and then, or, or no deer hunting are we doing? It was any, any week, long weekend we can make. Yeah. We, we were going, into region three somewhere. Okay. And we were, we were deer hunting and then all, all our moose hunting was been region seven. Um, yeah. So when, you know, when we turned 13, my, my brother's four years older than me, he got to see him. So I was always excited counting down the days. I'm like, Oh, he's going, he's coming back. Oh, so they take off and you'd be at home and they're be at home with to- mom. Oh, yeah. wow. And sister, yeah. 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 So it's, it just, just kills you. Just you chomping at the bit, man. Oh yeah. For, you know, it's for years because, you know, it, 
I'm watching yeah. my brother come home with four point buck and I'm sitting there at six years old and I can still, still remember it in my head, hanging in the garage and just being so jealous the whole time that, you know, this yeah. is what they're coming home with. And I'm sitting at home, <laughs> just stewing, waiting to go. But yeah, that oh, was good. So I, what do you remember about those early trips, those early two week trips? Cause I got some similar kind of memories from my childhood, but what sticks out to you? Uh, the, the long days, you know, <laughs> those, those caught me off guard and, you know, we, we always waited until Thanksgiving long weekend. Yes. And then we went for two weeks from there and we, you know, the, the weather was always so moody at that point too. You can be plus 10 or you can be minus 20. And, you know, I wasn't prepared for it. I was, you know, blue jeans, gum boots. Yeah. Like that's, that's what we hunted. And it was, <laughs> And are you doing a lot of sitting and calling, looking for kind of marshy openings and like? Yeah, so our, our our area that we we hunted for oh twenty years was uh, we camped on a lake. Yeah, so we we had a variety. We had you know a couple of guys, of my dad's friends and my uncle. They they were the sit and wait guys. So yep. they would get in their boats and they would go down the river and they would sit on the river and wait for, they can sit there every day for two weeks. No problem. Like, so that's kind of where I learned my patience. Cause I'm, I'm going out with those guys. I'm going to yeah. sit here forever. And my, my brother and my dad would be working the mountains or working the bushes along the swamps and just, they were always the workhorses. And then we ended up hunting with, uh, an old Portuguese guy that my dad used to work with and he was the caller that changed the game for us. So he, we started actually, um, we camped in the same spot. We'd be on the lake, but we would be going up the mountains for our bulls, which it never, never crossed our minds. But this guy, he, you know, he's, he was late sixties at the time. And that, you know, that's going on 20 years ago and follow him up the mountain on his old Honda, 250 quad and it's, he's driving we're hiking behind him and it's you'd get up there you'd make a couple of calls you didn't get an answer it's like okay next spot but he would they would come run into that guy really? like we we had moments where you know you're laying down on the ground because the moose is coming in so hot and heavy you're like oh shit let's get out of the way wow but yeah it was yeah it was something to be with him for sure I never realized what a strong hunting community the Portuguese community was until I kind of started doing this podcast and started interviewing some more people and you hear it pop up and it's a real big family thing for them yeah. as well. And I just, I don't know why I never, it never really occurred to me that that would be a thing, but there's a very strong Portuguese hunting community in the lower mainland. Oh, a hundred percent. We So with that guy, we would be out in the middle of nowhere, 10 hours away. You'd, you'd run into a, another Portuguese guy, they knew each other. They're from, <laughs> they're from the club, Vancouver. They've sat, they have coffees yeah. and drinks and that's, they have, they always seem to know each other. Every time you run into a Portuguese guy with him, they, that was it. That's they, hilarious. Yeah. Man. So for, so kind of funny. So when I, when I grew up, my, my family was kind of like the weekend warrior hunters in that every year it was a big moose trip. But that was kind of about it. Like, I don't remember anybody. Maybe once my uncle started getting older, I can remember them doing like a little bit of whitetail and a little bit of bear. But like with my grandpa, so it was my grandpa, my dad, and his two brothers. So the four of them. 
And there was a big moose trip every year. And pretty big camp, because tags are really hard to get in Ontario. And so it would be like a couple of my other uncles and, you know, probably 10, 15 guys and normally hunting, because you can party hunt tags there. Probably hunting one or two tags and maybe even just a cow tag. Like it was that tight. Yeah. And I can remember always wanting to go as a kid. And hilarious thing, it was always Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, Um, nice. That's when they went. And I think I was 12 when that's what I had to wait for. Um, And I can remember I shot my first partridge with a 410 on that first trip. And uh, same thing, real long cold days. I can remember chewing on the leftover steak you know, like kind of a half-eaten steak. We'd throw it in a Ziploc bag and you just chew on the bone yeah. the next day and you're just sitting in some swamp, just sitting and waiting and hoping. They were calling too. Um, and I only went two years, when I was 12 and when I was 13. And it was like end of a logging road, North Bay, Ontario, set up a wall tent. But then you'd have some gear too. You'd have a couple quads. You'd have a little skiff with a 9.9. There'd be a couple lakes around and a couple of deactivated roads and you'd all kind of split up and work kind of different areas. And we did get a moose each year. I was trying to figure this out with my dad the other night. I think he got a cow the first year we went and then I think my uncle got a bull the second year I went and then I had a bit of a falling out with that side of the family. And that was, that was it. I never hunted with until I brought my dad out here to do an elk hunt. I never hunted with those guys um, ever again. But I, I remember being a kid and knowing they were going hunting. And ever since I was like six or seven, cause you'd come home and there was always hunting stuff in my grandpa's house, not so much my dad's house, but we spent more time at my grandpa's house visiting my dad than at my dad's house anyway. So it felt more like I associate that more with my dad, but there was always hunting stuff and like the gun rack with all the guns locked up. And you were just, you were just dying because it's what the, 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 the men did, you know what I mean? And you were just this boy. And it was like, that's what you were supposed to go do when you felt like a man, when you were, when you were going to do it. And I remember them making fun of me because I was tripping over everything. And it's like, you're trying to be quiet and I'm just like breaking sticks and just, yeah don't know anything about anything you know what i mean but oh yeah i went i went through that this past uh not last year the year before with my son on his first season and i completely forgot i'm like oh this is what my dad was like you know the frozen frozen puddles yeah i'm gonna step in those frozen (laughs) puddles right through them what are you doing (laughs) yeah but yeah no we yeah we we were the same thing it was there was a big group of guys we all had we went in the the shared hunt so there'd be four of us going after two tags and Yep. It was always between eight to 10 of us, even leading up to the hunt for the, the big moose hunt. Like when the LEH came out, we would go to my uncle's house or he was like an uncle to me. He'd be in Hammond. We'd all go into his garage. We'd sit around the wood stove. The adults would be having a few beverages. We'd be filling out our LEH slips for, you know, and it was a big deal. Like we just, it was a party to fill out your LEH slips. It's like, we all knew what we're putting in for, but we're all yeah. coming to the same place to do it. It was just, it was part of, part of what we did it was it was neat and then you know there would always be that you know you'd be cooking up something from the last year whether you're frying tongue in the frying pan or eating heart like it was we were and it was all cooked on the wood stove and it was saved for that kind of leh party that we're having and it was every year was the same thing it was awesome 
There's, I could still, I wish, wish I could have my son experience that environment, but yeah. that environment's exp- expanded. People have retired. They've moved out. The guys have passed on. And, you know, it's because I was, I was the, my brother and I were the only kids. My, okay. my dad was the second youngest person involved. So it was, it was it. It was, it was, yeah, it was special. <laughs> so. I don't want to be the guy who says things are, are different now. And Lord knows I was out of hunting for a very long time, but I do feel there's a difference. Like even, cause this would have been like, I was born in 78. So it would have been like 90, I guess. But that those like late eighties, early nineties when it was hunting did seem to be, and maybe they're still doing it. There's just because if I think about like up the Musqua, you go and everybody's got their family camp and that kind of stuff. Maybe it is that type of stuff is still going on, but it does. Do you, this is a bit of an off-topic question, but do you feel there's a divide? Do you feel there's like two? I was thinking about this the other day because we had that big podcast, and in some ways I feel like I fit in, and in some ways I feel like I'm I'm a bit of an outcast because I'm not. You know, you look at the come out heavy boys and yourself and, you know, Kevin from Focus. Like these guys are like died in the wool, yourself included, BC hunters. And then in the way there's this, there's a couple of us newer guys. Do you know what I mean? Who like don't have the history. Have you thought much about that and and, and how we, do you feel there's like a divide in the community or is there just different groups of people? What do you think? I, I find there is a little bit of a divide, um, you know, I, I don't see it as strongly. Like I do have, I'm on social media, but I, I don't pay attention as hard, but yeah. Uh, you know, buddies I played the cross with or grew up with and I got them into hunting and start mentoring them. You, you can see kind of, as you were saying, the, the adult onset hunter side of things, but it's, I never knew any different. Right. Right. And I, I only ever hunted with family and then close family friends. So it was like, you'd hear stories about what other people were doing who had the same background as me. And you're like, Oh, that's way different than we would have done it. But you know, it's, it's, there's definitely, there definitely is some little bit of disconnect between the two groups. I'm I'd say. I mean, there's some friction at times. Cause even like these newer guys, like they'll ask for help and like, depending on where you go for it, you can take a bit of a, you know, bit of a beating for it. And it's like, you're trying to explain these guys, like, listen, I didn't, we don't, you know, you're talking about your family camp. It's like, when you get into this in your early thirties, like you don't have, you don't even know where to start. You know what I mean? And, and you know, it's rude to ask people for spots, but in the same breath, you know, you don't know where to go and then you end up doing dumb shit. And then you, you know what I mean? Like, and I do feel like there's sometimes there's like a, a bit of a lack of patience. And I feel like, some of the more traditional guys and maybe I don't even blame them because I know I've been in similar situations where it's like, you know, whether it was snowboarding or whatever, where you're like the local and you've had your thing the same way all the time and you're used to it. And then these people show up and they kind of want to take some of your thing. And I, I I get it, but definitely I felt it to a, you, you know, to a bit of a degree, but then I've, I've also had some really great relationships and I've had, you know, I think there's, I think there's both. I think, I think, and and I think when you meld different communities like this, and maybe that's part of our job as guys straddling different generations is to kind of help that meld together. Because I don't want to get into a big political conversation tonight, but I do think if we're gonna 
continue to protect this thing that we care about. The the little piddly shit in between the differences of us doesn't matter nearly as much as the fact that we all care really deeply about this one thing and that should override any of that other, you know, kind of meaningless stuff. Oh yeah, we're we're our own worst enemies for sure. Like like I I my brother started a Facebook group uh 15 years ago or something. It's one of the bigger hunting groups on Facebook. And that's kind of been our motto. If people are asking a question and guys are lighting them up, you're gone. Like we don't, we don't want that shit. It's yep. like, if, if, you know, if there's poor kids on there who just, you know, they're 12 years old. They're on Facebook. They're asking a, a question for advice. They don't have someone to look up to or mentor in their family. They're just, they're asking questions and, there's there's always I hate to say it but there's always people that just will light them up and be like yeah. you're an idiot why are you why are you bothering us like, well what's your problem man like, it's, be a mentor help them out like I always before my son turned 10 I'd always try to take new hunters so that was right. I, I loved it I love teaching people at least my ways it might not be the right ways might not be the best ways but it was the ways I knew from collective uh, intel from my mentors. And where do you think that comes from? Do you think it's because people did it for you? Was it specifically something your old man kind of passed on? Or is that just, do you think, part of your like DNA or personality, that that's something you enjoy doing for people? I think it's a bit of both. I've, I'd say my dad did instill that into me. Um, you know, <laughs> you know I, my, he is definitely patient, for the most part with my brother and I, it's, it's, we weren't the easiest kids growing up. So, but you know, we take you out into the bush and the, he would, he would be patient with you and try to teach you. And you can tell he really enjoyed it. Right. And then the same, like I'm the same way. I, the first person I really mentored in hunting when he shot his first deer, he shot a nice four by four uh, mule deer. And it was, to me, it was more satisfying than any animal I've ever shot. And I was like, man, there's no greater feeling than that. And I was thinking like, no, that must be what the guides feel like all the time. But, <laughs> but then, you know, not thinking anything. And last year, my son shot his first bear. And I was like, okay, there is a greater feeling. Than here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. It's just like, oh, yeah. And then I still, I, I watch, I, so my dad was behind us. So there was three generations of us. We were bear hunting and he videotaped with his cell phone, my son shooting the bear. Okay. You can't see the bear. You can see me standing beside my son. My son drops to a knee, shoots the bear. It drops arms in the air, turns around, jumps. And there's just the biggest hug I've ever got from him. He's screaming. He's so excited. I watch that video almost every day. So it's it's been on repeat on my cell phone since last last spring. Like it's it's yeah, it's almost it's special, gets me teary hard thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, something I so my daughter's six now, and the most the furthest we've got is like truck camping. And I never really I have more of a camping history with my mom than my dad. And even then it was like Ontario Provincial Park. I don't have a like I didn't grow up. We did do some interior canoeing and stuff, but like I kind of came in to all my woodsmanship 
later in life. So in some ways, I feel like I'm trying to figure it out with my kid. Like I, I don't have a template to follow. So all we've really done so far is truck camping because even in the podcast that I've listened to, like the one message, because I am that hardcore, oh, we have to learn something and there needs to be challenge. And like the one thing I keep hearing over and over again is like, you got to get rid of that. Like you just got to keep it fun. Yeah. I let her bring the iPad. We take snacks and it's like, we're going to go have fun. We're just going to happen to be sleeping in a tent while we do it. And when yeah. she gets tired of something, we go do something else. And I'm almost trying to trick her. Like, hey, we're just going to have some fun and we're also going to be outdoors at the same time. But I, I, I try to be a good dad, but I'm not perfect. And I notice, you know, I probably don't always pay as much attention as I should or maybe I get on my phone more than I should. But when we're out there, it feels different just yeah. for me. Like, I just feel more connected to her. I feel more present. I feel like I'm paying more attention. I feel like she gets more of me and more of my attention when yeah. we're out there. And like I said, we've only done the truck camping thing, but I think I think it's different. I think you get, I think you connect with people differently. And I think that's why hunt buddies are such strong buddies. I mean, when you, you go through that kind of stuff. And I think when you strip away the phones and the TVs and the distractions and all that other kind of stuff, I just think you connect better with people out there. And I think as a parent, like, and I don't care, maybe hunting's not your thing. I don't care. Go camp, like go canoeing, go camping, whatever it is. But I think going out in the wilderness with your kids to spend one-on-one -on -one time is like, it's a priority, man, because it, oh, it, yeah. it, it, and she loves it. Like she's asking about it already. And this year, our big goal for the year is she's going to go on an overnight scouting trip. Nice. So we're going to go really, and we'll just go like, you know, somewhere in the Okanagan. We'll go like a kilometer in off the trailhead. Like it doesn't have to be. Somewhere warm and dry. A hundred percent, man. With like a little nice hike in, a nice yeah. flat spot. And I'll, you know, we'll bring lots of like, you know, treats and good food. And, but it will be a legitimate overnight, not beside the truck. And we'll, I'll bring the optics and we'll glass for some deer the next morning. But she's stoked, man. She, yeah. you know, she flip flops on the whole killing thing. Like one day she's like, I want to kill a deer. The next day she's like, where'd the burger come from? And I'm like, oh, it's a bear I shot. She's like, what? So it's like, there's still, you know, she still goes back and forth on it. But like. Yeah, I feel like it's, and it's something that my wife doesn't do with her. And I think each parent having their own way of making that connection with the kid, I'm really grateful for it. Anyways, I'm going, I'm kind of, I'm kind of going on a long winded rant here, but I, there's something special about that outdoors times with your kids. They get, they get the real you. Yeah, like uh, my kids, that that was always my goal too. Was you know if we were going out for a day. We're going to keep them entertained. It's we're going to stop at this Creek. We're going to throw rocks. We're going to start a fire. We're going to, we're, we're going to roast hot dogs or make s'mores, but like even the, the snacks too, it's whatever to yeah. do to keep them entertained. So it's like, I want to go again. Yeah. And they, but like you're saying that you connect with them. They, yeah. they live for it. Like my son uh, yesterday, we're actually, we're driving home. My, my daughter passed her core course yesterday. So we're driving home from awesome. that last, yeah, she turns 10 tomorrow. She's already got a nice shiny new left-handed rifle waiting for her. So we got, <laughs> we got some learning to do, <laughs> but um, yeah, so he, he brought up 
we were talking about this time. I, I want to say he was probably only three, but we quadded up into the Alpine. Okay. And it wasn't hunting season and we camped. And he was talking about it. I'm like, you remember that? Right. So like it's, it's, and it was just me and him one-on-one. We, we left the truck. My friend had a cabin. We left the truck at the cabin. We took the quad. We went up into the Alpine up uh, near Spence's bridge. And we, uh, yeah, we, we camped right up above the trees over 7,000 feet. We're just watch, watch the sunset, the sunrise, look for miles. We didn't we just had a fire. He was eating pop tarts and poking sticks in the fire. Like it's, and he was, he was talking about how awesome it was just yesterday and he's 12 now. So it's like, I, I had no idea. I burned that into your head. Like, I, yeah, I had not the slightest clue. He would remember that. Yeah. It kind of caught me off guard last night. But. Yeah, man, that's powerful for sure. And I think, you know, like all she, like, it just means the world to them when they're your focus. Yeah. And I think there's so many distractions here that, we're probably not the best at it all the time. And I think that's another thing that makes it so potent for them when they're out there because they can tell they've got your undivided attention. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that makes it, you know, I think about my daughter brings up, we literally took a trip to Disney world when she was three and me and my wife talked about it. We're like, is this dumb? Like, are we spending a shitload of money to go to do something that she's never going to remember? And she's only six, but she'll still talk about it. And it's not like she talks about it, in like a like an an abstract sense, like that time we went, it's like no, when we did this ride after eating that thing and going around that corner, like she vividly recalls that stuff. And it's funny because I don't, I don't, I I couldn't. If you paid me a million dollars, I couldn't tell you what I did when I was three years old. Yeah, um, like I I got tons of memories. I couldn't even tell you how old I was. I was you know, catching the first fish. I can still remember catching my first rainbow trout. I, I, I would assume looking at the pictures, I'm probably around three or four. But yeah, you know, and I I went to Disneyland around the same time, and I hardly remember that. But I I remember being in the outdoors. And it's it's nice that the kids are doing the same thing. They're remember they're remembering those things. So so once you. So the family trips, we're going, we're going up north for, for moose, you know, a couple weeks every year. Now, is there a point when you start to strike out on your own and go start to have some of your own adventures or does it stay like pretty consistently a family thing? It was pretty consistent. I would say really only the last couple, like the, the groups changed over time. But uh, like my dad just lives down the road for me. So the majority of my hunting is with him. Yep. And being able to bring my kids with my dad, they're hunting, hunting with grandpa. It's like for some, I never got to experience that. Yeah. And I just think that's the coolest thing that's amazing. He's there for that. And they're, yeah, they, they don't have any idea how special that is. But yeah, when they're older, hopefully they, they realize what they have. Like, and that's got to be special for him too. Oh, absolutely. Like it's got to be the world at that point in your life. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I would. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's not uh, much to share his emotions, but 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can tell it's it means a lot to him for sure. So my dad, I'm trying to, I had to pick this year, man. I can't believe it. So my dad's thing is he's always wanted an elk. He's never been Western hunting. I brought him out in 2017. We took a run up the Musqua. And it just wasn't a good year, man. Really heavy wolf action, like wolves every day. Saw one cow elk, no bulls. But he had the time of his life. He'd never, been, he'd never done anything like that in his life. Like his stuff was like logging roads and, and wall tents. So when you're talking like jet boats and teepees and, you know, like he was just like, this is crazy. Um, but I was always really disappointed because I'm like, you know, I'm, I was supposed to get you, you know, a better experience than that. I mean, I can't promise you're going to get a shot opportunity, but you should at least be having some encounters, you know? So I brought him out in 2017. Didn't, you know, I was kind of disappointed with the quality of the trip, but, um, so I was kind of hesitant. I always wanted to bring him back, but elk hunting is so physical. Like if you look at the guys who get it done every year, either they got a bunch of gear, like they're going either way up north and they've got side-by-sides, trailers, jet boats, and they've got some spots, like stuff, yeah. probably family stuff, probably the same spots they've been going to for 20 years. Or there's these younger guys that are kind of in my generation, but they're going in pretty hardcore. Do you know what I mean? Like humping straight up, calling their asses off, running all over Hell's Half Acre, not the kind of thing my dad can do so I was always like I don't know what I'm supposed to do I can't I, I just didn't really feel like I had a game plan that was you know had a great enough likelihood of success that really justified bringing him back out and then my stepmother hit me up this year and she's like I think it's really important we get your dad back out you know he's going to be 66 this year um well he just turned 66 and who knows how much longer he's going to be like that physically fit. Like he's fine, but you just never know, right? Yeah. Um, and I started thinking, well, it, caribou, because it's still kind of exotic. Like coming from Ontario, there's there's deer and there's moose. So the whole point of coming out west is you're trying to do something a little bit different. And I started thinking, I mean, it's not an elk, but I feel more comfortable in my ability to put together a caribou hunt, you know, a bit of a fly-in where we should have a pretty good shot. So yeah, man, I, I put everything in place. I put the deposits down. And now we're going into six, which is in seven, but they've put all the the uh, permit to a companies on hold in six because of what's happening over, over in seven. It's like, my dad's already bought his plane ticket. He's already done all this stuff. And I'm just like, I can't like it, it like it had to happen this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it really hit home because I'm not opposed to looking at, I want to respect everybody's rights in the wilderness. And if I, I'm not, I don't pretend to have answers or claim to know who deserves what, but you do want to feel like you live in a place where that stuff is an, is an option and accessible. And right now, all of a sudden, it doesn't feel like that anymore. It feels like maybe we're going to be able to do something and maybe we're not. And yet again, it's just completely, you know, out of our hands. But the whole reason I'm telling this story is that my brother's never gone hunting. He tree planted with me and he's got a bit of bush you know, savvy, but he's never gone hunting. But when my old man said he was going to come, I hit my brother up and I was like, I think 
we need to figure you need to come on this trip and he agreed to and you could tell that just meant the world to my dad do you know what i mean like oh, yeah, he's never sure. been on a hunting trip with his two boys and for us i know he wouldn't care if we saw a living creature the whole 10 days if he yeah. got to go spend you know 10 days in a teepee on a lake you know in in northern british columbia on the border of the yukon with his two boys like that would be that would be everything for him Yo, for sure. We actually, it's funny that you're talking about that. We, I, I took my, my dad and my brother, one of my friends on all three of their first flying hunts this past fall to try to get a caribou for my dad. <laughs> we, we seen caribou, nothing, nothing legal, but uh, my brother and I each shot a bull moose. Okay. And my, my dad was right there with us getting his hands dirty, packing back to the camp. Like, no, his, his pack might not be as heavy anymore, but yeah. he, he insisted. He's like, I'm here. I'm part of it. He took the first load in the backpack. He marching back to camp a couple kilometers. And it's like, eh, you still got a little bit of life left in you. <laughs> and then we, so, when, when, as soon as we landed, we booked 2023 to go after caribou. So okay. we'll see, see where that goes. <laughs> Yeah, man, I don't want to. I don't want to get on negative, and I feel yeah. like there's been so much floating around about it. People almost need a bit of a break. Hundred um, percent. But my fingers are crossed. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be cautiously optimistic because I think that's about all we can do. I think the fight's been fought, and or the fought. Yeah, the fight has been fought, and you know how things roll out now, or how they're gonna roll out, and I, you know, we'll decide what to do. So, what do you got for advice for a guy taken? You know, I took him on the jet boat hunt, so I got a bit of an idea about what his physical capabilities are. But even like any particular stuff you brought that was like a really good idea or shit you wish you brought or like, yeah, any tips for a fly-in hunt with your dad and your brother? You know, if especially with your brother not being a hunter too um, and you're going on a fly-in, what I did is I brought a big tote. Yep. We we took two flights in. We packed heavy. Yep. Like we, we have our stuff for hiking into the back country and whatever. But we, we had a tote full of, uh, comfort items, extra food, snacks. Uh, you know, we even since we weren't far, we knew we weren't going to camp far from the lake. Yep. We brought, um, Presto logs for the, yes. the wood stove in the TV tent. Yep. And I'm, you know, I kind of forced them to buy it, forced them to buy chairs lightweight yeah. chairs i'm like you know what if we're out there for that long we're not far from the lake just have a chair yeah bring the fishing rod if you're going to the lake to grab something you got your fishing rod you can chuck a line try to catch some nice lakers but yeah i was just made sure you they had all the comfort you know if they wanted to bring spare shoes you know let them bring spare shoes they stay at the lake in the tote it's yeah. not a big deal so you have your we had we each had our, our backpack full of gear and in that backpack we were good for two weeks no problem with what we had but then we still had a tote full of you know just extra comfort items that you know if if you want to have your case of beer have your case of beer if you want your chocolate bar your chocolate bars there so it's it i think it made it easier and then you know we <laughs> luckily i we were four of us and i have a, a 12 man tent yeah so we had the, the which cup. one by the way just I got the seek outside. Okay. So with and that, you like it, love it. Okay. This, this was my, my first year back country with the, the big tent like that. 
you know, we got hit. We were up there in the, the shit weather that was this year. It was rain, snow, snow, rain every day for the whole two weeks. We, and what we ended were the up, dates? Uh, we were mid, mid-September. Um, yeah, this is bang on, man. Yeah. And somebody just texted me the other night, and they were like, my buddies were up there last year. We're flying in on the 17th, and they were like reliably minus 10. So, like, yeah. get your shit together because you could see some pretty gnarly stuff that time oh. of year. Oh, yeah. And then it was it was very unpredictable. Like you'd be a, down to a t-shirt, and then you you're watching the black come across the plateau. <laughs> you're like, oh man, you're looking for your rain gear, your poncho. You're finding a tree to hide under. You're just yeah, getting yeah. <laughs> you're getting ready for it. And you're like, it'll come through. It sweeps. But where we were, we were kind of we were against the mountains, so the the storm would stop and it stick on the mountain for a few hours. And yep, yep. See, you know. But the the with the teepee tent being as big as it was, we can go back into the tent, sit in the chair around the wood stove. He didn't have to worry about dry firewood. We had we brought a couple cases of those three hour yeah. burning logs. Like, and I, I learned that trick uh, the other year from going with some friends, and they they brought a a pack of Presto logs, one for each night. And I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to bring more. <laughs> Just I'm going to bring well, more. Well, you're light going in compared yeah. to coming out. Do you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you have any chance of coming out with an animal, because that's what somebody told me. They said, you're going to bring a case of those Presto logs and you're going to fill a duffel bag up with dry wood. Because the yeah. area where I'm going, I don't even know if there's like, the, it's pretty sparse. Like I don't even think there's yeah. fellable trees kicking around. You know what I'm no, saying? No, If you're, and in they were like, yeah, the entire duffel bag full of wood. And then a couple of cases of those Presto logs. And it's like, you're not flying home with it. So yeah. by the time you turn around, you're going to have meat with you. So it's not going to matter anyways. Yeah. When, with, with the Presto logs, you guarantee you have the wood. Right. So what, what we do is, or what we did, I shouldn't say what we do, because this was only my second fly in. We, uh, we'd get enough small logs, everything's wet. And we would, we kept them in the, in the tent with us. Yep. So they were dry. So once the press, yeah, like build them out and around. And I'm assuming you got like a box stove, like a, like a ultralight type of. Yep. Yeah. A little titanium. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You get stack. We always stack the wood around there. So once we were out of the Presto logs, if we were stuck, we did have dry firewood. Yep. No, we ended up leaving some behind, but it wasn't a lot. Like, but there was the next person to land there. They would have been happy to walk off the plane and find some firewood. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. No, that sounds pretty similar to my plan. I think I'm just going to have the eight man, but there's only three of us and same thing, TP stove. And then I think I'm going to bring a backup tent as well. Um, for instance, like I know I snore sometimes and, 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 and I'm thinking of putting my old man, did you put him on a cot or did you yeah. just put him on a sleep? Yeah. That was the other L- thing I was the, thinking. The, the, the lightweight, low, low cots, yep. you know, Yep. if you're not going far from the lake, you just go and get the Cabela's special for, they go on sale for under a hundred bucks. That's exactly what I'm thinking. And I think we're going to be within a hundred yards, 200 yeah. yards, like just go look for a nice spot, like a nice flat spot. And then I'm trying to remember that like, I love the challenge of it. And like, it's a vacation for me to go hike 120 kilometers in 10 days. Yeah. But it's like, it that's not their, that might not be their idea of a good time. Yeah. And that some days might just be a camp day. Yeah. You know, like when I was a kid, crib was a big deal, like a real big deal. Yeah. And I've already got the crib board and a couple decks of cards. And I'm already like mentally preparing myself that like, 
they might just wake up one morning and be beat to shit. Yep. And they might oh, just yeah. want to have a camp breakfast, eat food, have a couple bevies, and like play crib for a day. And I'm just gonna like I'm just like, okay, let's just roll with whatever happens and don't force my idea of what a good hunt has to be. You know what I mean? No, if, if you're going up there and you know, you spot something, you know, who knows where your glassing vantage point is, but you can be seeing a herd of animals, you know, 20 kilometers away. And right. You're going to want to go look now. If I don't know what kind of shape your dad's in, but if, if he goes on that push with you, then you know, the next day you're, you're probably going to be hanging out at camp and yeah. You know, it's, my brother this year, he actually brought uh, his iPod or his yeah. whatever. So, you know, we're laid, we're all laying in our cots. It was early but we had all got soaked and we were, it was actually after dealing with my moose cause it was sleeting on us while we were dealing with oh. it. But you know, you're getting, getting too hot in the rain gear. So we're in our t-shirts and the rain gear is piling up beside us and get it all back to camp or not back to camp, but we're the closest tree to where we can hang it to camp, which was, you know, 500 yards away from camp. Um, yeah, we were just dead. We just all laid. It was dark. We didn't really feel like having an outside fire doing anything. It was all just laid in our cots, ate our food, listened to music, just had a nice, quiet, relaxing time. And you, know, you, you can get up there too for a week and you can be trapped in your tent the whole time due to weather. You never, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's kind of the, the fun of the adventure. It sucks while you're there, but when you come home, it's fun to talk about. <laughs> Have you ever run into a meat care issue up there? Because that's the other thing I'm trying to think. Like, you go in for 10 days. What if somebody shoots a moose on day two? Nope. Um, I guess with those temperatures, the two, though, that's not an issue. Yeah, we we always kept an eye on it. Um, yeah. So my, my, my moose was close enough to trees that we hung it and uh, we checked on it daily. And it was more, we couldn't see it from camp, too, so it was... And go, go see if it's still there. Oh yeah, go. make sure nobody'd gotten into it. Yeah, and then uh, my brother's moose. Um, he shot it on the other side of the lake. We actually ended up uh, putting it in game bags, letting it air out as long as possible in the good weather, and then we would put it in garbage, uh, heavy duty garbage bags, throw it in the lake, and it was yeah, it I've was perfect. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what we would do. Like uh, if we were early season, say goat hunting, you would you would take the animal and we'd just throw it in the closest Creek inside a bag and just monitor it. Maybe open it every couple of days and see and if you gotta, gotta leave you call that plane and hopefully they can come and get you. This <laughs> <laughs> so like, we, we were there, they got screwed due to the bad weather. So they were, we were there three extra days. Really? Yeah. We were on a, we were on an all moose meat diet at that point. <laughs> Wow, man. So packing some extra food is key. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. I usually try to do that. Like one of the things we did this year on our on our fly-in sheep hunt, or I should say last year, was like I think we were going in for 13 in total. So we had 13 days of food in our backpack. And then what what we did was create up like um, a landing strip dry bag. Yeah, And in that big dry bag was an extra two days food for everybody, extra couple batteries, extra couple boxes of ammo, like just a few odds and ends that you might not need an extra first aid kit and stuff yeah. like that. And then all of that just, and then the, 
you're not humping it all over hell's half acre for no reason. And then just in case, if we got back there and there was, which almost happened to us too, we were lucky and he found a little window and snuck in and, and got us. Yeah. But um, that made, that just increased my comfort rating a little bit. I was like, oh, worst case scenario, we'll just go sit at the strip for a couple of days and eat all the extra food. Yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of the idea behind when I mentioned the tote, like we, right. That, that's got, you got a little bit of extra food. You've got you know, the first aid kit. I keep, you know, I keep a small first aid kit in my, my bag that'll, you know, keep me alive, but, you know, bring the, the big first aid kit, which has all the extra goodies. Like if I need to make a cast while I'm out there, I can cast your arm and we'll, <laughs> we'll be good for a bit, but make it a little bit more comfortable. I've always wanted to bring a stitch kit, like for sutures. Cause that seems to me like something that could be like a make or break deal. That's not yeah. like terribly complicated. And I know you can. You can get them where they come with like, you know, those little weird hook needles yep. that they have and like th they're pre-threaded with sterilized whatever kind of thread that is. But that's yeah. always seemed to me like if you're going to have a souped up version of a like a camp first aid kit, that would be a cool thing to to put in it. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, and the camp first aid kit, it's got it's got all that fun stuff and then the one in the bag, you know, butterfly stitches, some super glue. Yeah. Just the, the usual thing some duct tape to uh, get rid of blisters if you're not paying attention to your feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that was your second flying. So you went the year before as well? Yeah. Yeah, I went the year before uh, five guys. We went in on my first flying. We shot four, four caribou. It was, it was good. Two, two of the guys shot their caribou from camp pretty much. I mean, wow. another guy we put on in 10 days, we put on 150 kilometers <laughs> on the GPS. Like we were, we were all over everywhere, but <laughs> uh, paid for that for a long time afterwards. So I know, I'm not, I know I'm not the fittest guy, but my, my brain's a lot stronger than my body. <laughs> yeah, man. So it'll make it's, a little, a little girl goes a long way. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. Just, well, I'll go up over that hill. I'll go up over that hill. Let's keep going. That's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Get off. Yeah. What, um, like the way I'm going in for caribou, like, because it's kind of so flat and open up there with like these kind of like Island pockets of Hills. Like I'm just trying to get up high and glass as much country as I can. I don't like any other tips for how to work country like that. Cause I've never really, I've never really went and worked country like, you know, what it looks like based on other people's videos and what yeah. I've seen in Google earth. Yeah. So with, you know, with caribou, what I found on this, those couple of trips is, is the high point. Even yep. if it's, if you're on the rolling flats, find the highest point. Yep. And glass from there. And, you know, I, I, I still, it's still burned into my head. I'd be glassing, this flat spot forever and you're not seeing anything like, you know, 20 kilometers away, you can see what look like caribou, but I don't know where I heard of 12 caribou will just pop up right in front of you. You're like, where did you even come? Like, I don't understand where you guys <laughs> just showed up from. So it's kind of like ghosts out there, but you know, it's, it's deceiving terrain. Cause if you're on a high point and you're looking down on it, it looks flat, but as right. you're walking, you're 10 feet up, 10 feet down, 10 feet up, 10 feet down. So it's, right you can easily see how something disappears. And if there's a Creek meandering through it, if they walk the Creek, you'd never see them. Right. So it's, 
Yeah. I've also heard if they're going in the other way, like to forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like, chase. No, there's no, there's no hope. So you're yeah. trying to kind of like intersect or if they're coming across here, head out this way, try and cut them off. Yeah. Because they can be very odd. Like I, I've heard they can be very haphazard in the way that they travel as well. Like they don't, they don't tend to walk in real straight lines and they can kind of just like bounce all over the place. Yeah. I noticed there was no, no rhyme or reason to what they were doing. Like yeah. we would be sitting, uh, you know, kind of just on the edge of the Alpine looking down and you'd see caribou down on the, the, the grassy areas. You'd see them up over by the lake. You'd see them up in the rocks, like, you know, 10 kilometers from the nearest piece of grass. You're like, what are you guys even doing up there? Like you're above the sheep. I can see, I can see 50 sheep below you. Like what's going on here. They're just That's crazy. They're, they're yeah. I, I, I'm sure guys who are experienced with it can probably pattern them a bit and have reasons for it. But just my minimal experience with it is that I could never figure out. I no, no clue why, what they're, why they're yeah. doing what they're doing. You know, Every other animal you can figure out pretty much, but caribou, it's just, they just can't, <laughs> just got to find them. And if they're headed in your direction, you win. If they're, they're not, you're, you're hooped. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I got to ask, what rifle do you get for a girl who just turns 10? Hmm. So the, she's left-handed and uh, nobody else in our family's left-handed. So we had to go shopping. We ended up with a Tika 270 for her. Ooh. Yeah. And I that's went a nice gun. Yeah, and I, I went 270, just you know, it's a it's a common cartridge. Yeah. You should be able to find it in any gas station that sells. So it's yep. that that's kind of my theory. I you know, I I've always had the standard guns. I've had the 30 odd sixes and the three hundred and the, so I'm like, oh I'll get her uh 270 because I you know the other year I got a, a 6.5 PRC for mountain hunting. I don't reload, so I can't find ammo for it. It's yeah. it's, it's like, yeah, all right. And then the way this past couple of years have been, you any store you go and the shelves are empty, but you still see the the 308 and the 270 and the 30 odd six ammo. So that's that was kind of the basis behind our decision on that. And we let her hold every gun we can get our hands on and the, what that was the one she seemed most comfortable with. So like we, yeah, it's just, should be hoping to get her out. She's a member of the mission gun range. So we'll get her out there shortly. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And I think that sounds like a, it's funny. I, you know, I'm agreeing with you and I just bought a 300 PRC, which is like, yeah. there's like, I bought it from Omer and he had, he sold me five boxes with the gun yeah. and I'm not a big recreational shooter. So like I'll go drop a half a dozen rounds at the beginning of the season and then like one or two, depending on if I'm able to kill an animal. So I'll probably be good for the next three years with five boxes of ammo. That, um, that I'm the same. That's with yeah. that, that PRC. I've still got, well, I got one box left. So yeah. It's like, well, I only need to just see if my gun's good <laughs> and then that's it. But it's funny you mentioned a 30 aught six because not many. I'm from Ontario. It's like the land of 30 aught sixes. And you yeah. don't hear a whole lot of guys talk 30 aught six no. out here. There tends to be more, more of the 308s, definitely 300 wind mags. Um, but yeah, it's not. And that was when I first, when I bought my first rifle 
It was a 30-06 Savage. I really liked that. And then I sold that one and bought a 308 Tika. Yeah. Liked that, but then wanted something bigger. So I sold that and I got a 300 Win Mag Tika. And then when I was taking my brother and dad out, I was like, oh, we need a second gun. And I just, it was just an excuse. Cause let's be honest. I'm sure somebody would have lent me a rifle for a week. Do you know what I mean? But I'm like, oh, I should probably buy a second gun. That seems oh. like a reasonable solution to this problem. Oh, that's perfect to convince yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then I wanted something kind of like the 300 Win Mag Tika to me is like the blue collar rifle. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's not overly expensive considering what you could pay for a rifle. Like there's cheaper rifles out there, but I would argue it's one of the best value rifles you can buy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know what, there's nothing, you can't shoot with a 300 Win Mag and the ammo, I mean, all ammo is getting a little bit difficult to find, but it's a pretty standard ammo. And so when yeah. I got a second one, I was like, let's have like, let's have a little fun. Let's get probably the same way you felt about the 6.5. Like yeah. let's get a fun gun, you know, something yeah. a little bit more exotic. Yeah, that's right. That's kind of exactly why it was something, something different, something light. Uh, knew a couple people that shot them. I shot one, and I was like, "Oh, I like that." It's so. yeah. The, I've the, heard nothing but good things. People kind of kind of rail on the Creedmoor all the time, but even the guys who hate the six five point five Creedmoor, even they tend to like the six point five PRC. So it seems to be, you know, if I was going to go that particular caliber, that's certainly the round. Yeah, I going after. I wasn't planning on shooting a moose with it this year, and I did. <laughs> so we were. And how we were did that go? Dropped right on the spot. One really, one, yeah. One one shot. He just curled up. He was about, called him into about fifty yards. Yeah, he went down <laughs> in a hurry. I was like, oh, perfect. Because <laughs> yeah, well, there's. I had no no intentions of moose hunting while we were there. It was we were going for caribou. Yeah, but is that. Yeah, I just uh, we are across the valley from where we were the year before, and we and we seen a couple of moose, but nothing that would make you go, "I want to pack that ten kilometers back to the lake." Yeah, <laughs> no, no doubt, man. But yeah, we're gonna set some pretty hard limits when it comes to like the bigger animals. Yeah, about like you know within this distance to camp is okay, but across yeah. this imaginary line, because I don't think a lot of people, and I've never had to pack a moose out of the backcountry. I've had to pack an elk out of the back country, but I don't think people understand, especially with moose, just how insanely large. Well, and if you're going up towards the Yukon, you're dealing with the Alaskans, which are just a whole nother. Yeah. Like this, this year was my first time being in, uh, my first time shooting in Alaskan. And I just, when I walked up to it, like when I first got it, I'm like, yeah, it was a good moose. And I walked up to it. I'm like, holy smokes. These are, uh, it's, they are as big as they look on TV. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, you, you see the people on TV or on YouTube and you, you don't know how big that person is. So it's yeah. like, you're like, Oh, it could be a big person or it could be a little, little moose. You don't know. It's so yeah. you walk up, you're like, Oh, well, they're big. <laughs> we got That's some work awesome. cut out. Yeah. But. So what's the rest of your, like, are you like, what do you like to hunt? Is it these big kind of like lots of people trips? Do you normally focus on the larger ungulates, but have you done some sheep and goat and other kind of stuff like that as well? I've dabbled in sheep. Uh, 
know, it's, as much as it might upset people, you know, it's, they always think I'm part of the sheep society. I, I'm a sheep guy. It's like, oh no, <laughs> I just I got a some a special place in my heart for sheep. But but I've only been I've been on two two hunts that were for sheep. Okay, like that were targeted long trips. Yep. One of them was the, ended up being the caribou hunt, and then the um, the other one we had we only seen. 10, 10 sheep and I ended up uh, shooting a goat that was wounded by somebody else. So it was somebody you were with, or you just ran no. into a wounded goat. So we long story. <laughs> so we were, we were up on the North end of uh, Williston Lake. Okay. And uh, my brother and I, like my dad was down kind of near base camp. He just glass in the hillside. My brother and I were walking the ridge and then two people showed up in our valley, but we were kilometers away. So we were kind of hunting. It was almost like a horseshoe valley. And we were watching these goats across the way. There was a bunch of them. Um, we heard a shot. We thought it was my dad at first. I'm like, oh, he just shot a nanny. Uh-oh. <laughs> not not harping on it. It's legal, but, you know, that's not ideal. Not ideal. And But, uh so it's like, oh shit. And then we see them. I was like, well, that's that's not dad. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh. And I, where the where the hell did you guys come from? Like we're we're hiked in. We're not we're not on a road. We're not we're not near anybody. And these these guys came out of nowhere. Um they ended up not I, I don't know if they couldn't find the goat or what happened, but they ended up leaving. They were gone. We watched them. They went forever. My brother and I, we actually ran down the, uh, an avalanche chute to try to cut them off and be like, Hey, we, we know where it is. Like it's, um, you did, you like, we watched you hit it. It's, it got, it dropped, but then it got up and walked away. And my, my guess is I hear they're tough as nails. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I won't share it online. I've taken flack for the picture, but, uh, I'll show you <laughs> okay. what 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 happened to this thing before I got to it. But uh yeah, so I was running down the avalanche chute and I'm, you know, it's steep. I'm doing I'm, at one point I'm cartwheeling down, I'm losing everything, backpack's gone, guns rolling down the hill. It's like, holy shit. And I stopped in the the brush at the bottom. We ended up not catching them. They got past my dad somehow because he was down the valley. And then uh yeah, so we, we we ended up hiking down. We couldn't find him. We we met up with my dad. We came up with a game plan. It's like, okay, we know where the there's a wounded goat. We're pretty sure it's an Annie. Um, it was it was with a group, but the the kids were accounted for with nannies. Uh, there was a couple big billies with the group that we were, you know, deciding what our play was going to be. But at this point, it was like, let's find this. And it was early in the morning. We ended up, uh, we spread out. We found it uh, just before last light. I think it was probably, in, we were in August, so I want to say up there is probably close to 10 o'clock, like the sun was starting to get low. And then I'm standing on the shale, and I, I look up, and it's right above me, 100 yards, and it's just, it's not going to make the night. Like it was, it was in, it was in rough shape, but it was standing. 
So I ended up, I shot it. Um, yeah, I shot, shot it. It came down the mountain. I actually, my, my dad was a couple hundred yards down the cliff face, standing on the shale just below it with me. And he said it was kind of funny. He's like, I could see the, the goats tumbling down the cliff coming towards you. And then he's like, I see you in the stance and they like the athletic prone position, like, Oh shit, what are you going to do? And then he, he watches me dive to one side and the goat lands right where I was standing. And I was, it was like, Oh, because I lost sight of it after I hit it. Yeah. I'm like, well, I saw it start tumbling and then it disappeared. And then it just comes launching off the cliff. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> there's yeah. Knee jerk reaction. I jump out of the way it lands and we ended up, Ended up hiking it out at like you know, one in the morning. We got back to base camp, Jeez. And, you know, in grizzly grizzly country, and it's, it's a, it was that was interesting. That was my first real backcountry trip, and I learned learned a lot. Learned that goats yeah. are tough. It's a tough, tough, toughest toughest animal I've could think of. Yeah. Like the injuries that goat had before I found it, you know, you know, it was, that was the year we got a freak snowstorm in August. We got hit with that at the start of the trip. I thought I was going to die. I'm naked in a sleeping bag with hypothermia shaking all the hell. I had bought, bought new rain gear for that trip that young and dumb didn't test out. Oh, you know, so it turned out it wasn't as waterproof as a, uh, it was supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, I was, I was in rough shape well, the first night. And learn, learn a lot that trip. <laughs> yeah, man. And there's no eject buttons on those trips. Once you're in, you're in. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. So I've, I went back like, so I, I went back to rubber rain gear after that. I pack okay. rubber rain gear in my pack. I don't, I'm no, no messing around. So I work in construction in the lower mainland. So I'm, we're out in the rain all day. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I've worn that for the last 15 years. That's what I'm going to wear. And I know it keeps me dry. I mean, it works, man. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay, it's a, debating that. Yeah. It's a little bit of extra weight, but you gotta, you gotta pick and choose. You know, it's for, for me in the back country, you're picking and choosing where you want to burn your weight and yep. rain gears where I burn my weight. That's, yep. <laughs> it's, that's, uh, yeah, that was, that was a, a, a scary night for me. Yeah. Like I was, yeah. I was certain that was it. That's how rough it was. Really? Eh? Oh yeah. I was, I'd, I'd never experienced cold like that. Right. Like violently shaking for hours. Nothing you can do about it. Too wet to start a fire. Like it was, it was yeah. sleeping bag got wet trying to get into it. Like it was just a disaster because it was while we were hiking in. So it was, you were, there was no camp, there was no nothing. You had to set up camp in the, the rain as best you can. And yep. Yeah. It's it's a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They call that type two fun. Mm -hmm. Terrible in the moment, but looking back on it, I mean, yeah, yeah, man. Something, something wrong with us. Times. So uh, the other thing I want to ask you about is your photography, because you post some of the coolest pictures and videos I've seen. So is, has that always been a passion of yours or is that something you came into later on? So it's, I've, 
I've always had an interest or interest in photography. Uh, I've like I shoot an old Nikon that I had bought go now fifteen years ago. Okay. And I had never really thought about it too much. And I, I always liked it, but I never immersed myself into it. And then when uh, the big old C word came around a couple of years ago, yeah, the um, I found well, we the we we couldn't do as much as we wanted to do as a family. Those kids' sports were all canceled. Yep. Um, you know, being part of the Sheep Society, I've got some great friends that are, you know, world-class photographers. Yeah. Like guys that, you know, one of them lives in Maple Ridge, just down the road from me. You give them a call. Like, Hey man, what do you think? I got this old Nikon. You know, I need a, I want to start taking pictures of all these animals. Cause I, I see all these incredible things. Yeah. And like, we're, we're always out in the, like, we're always out in the bush, my family. And it's, I see all these things. No one really believes me. Yeah. Like, you know what? I, I'm going to buy a camera or I'm going to buy a new lens. So I got call up my buddies from the society there. And he, he's like, you know what? Get this, get this lens. So we ordered it on Amazon. A couple of days later, it showed up. And I was surprised at how it consumed me. Right. Like, so for the first, after we got the lens, for the first... What lens? Do you remember? It's a uh, 200 to 500 uh, okay. Ni- Nikkor. Yeah. I, I don't know all the specs on it. I'm, I'm not That's very much... That's a nice much, piece of glass, though. Yeah. It's a, it's a good piece of glass. It's, you know, it's heavy as all hell, so it's... Yep. <laughs> um, so we started taking pictures, and I'm like, oh, that's, you know starting to get some good feedback from people and you know, a couple people showing interest in buying pictures. And I was like, oh, okay, this is just, you know, a couple times out taking a couple pictures. Mm-hmm. And then we started going, um, I'd load up the family, the dogs, and we'd just, we'd get in the car and we'd drive <laughs> almost every weekend during the pandemic. We were gone. We were somewhere we were, you know, day tripping to Kamloops or Lillouette or, you know, just burning fuel and yeah, man, nothing else to do. Yeah. Finding animals is going to our, you know, our usual hunting spots and, you know, you go looking for, you go looking for the deer, you go looking for the sheep, you elk, moose, whatever. You know, we went to Jasper a couple of times. It was just this. Yeah. Just all, all in on the photography for, and still, still to this day, you know, just a couple of days ago, it's, we got in the car, we, you know, we bring this the binoculars, a spotter, we go up to Spences Bridge, or and then we drove over to Kamloops and we spent, you know, the good part of the day in Kamloops hiking into some spots. And then you come back down to Spences Bridge and you're, you're glassing from the different areas, you know, most of the stuff in Spences Bridge and, Lillouette in that area, it's 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 more just seeing how they they did because I don't have you're you're watching them from across the river, so it's just seeing how they did with the fires and you know for some reason there's not very many lambs and we're you know that's 
the wild sheep society part of me kicking in. It's like, Oh, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I need to know what's going on or no. But yeah, I know it's, it's been a, a short, quick, uh, wild journey with the photography, to be honest. So I, I donate pictures to different auctions. Like and, uh, obviously this, the wild sheep is at BC. I, wild, wild sheep, Alberta got one this weekend in, uh, Minnesota for auction. So it's, I definitely spend a lot more money than I make on right. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the much to uh, everyone's displeasure. There's <laughs> the, the wife's eyeballing me from across the room. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's been fun. You know, we got, we ended up, we're going to, South Africa in May. Wow. And we're, you know, we, we're, we're, we're doing a, a we're, we're hunting for 10 days, but then we're going to go on a four day safari just for photography. Okay. So it's, it's, it should be, I'm excited. Wow, <laughs> man. I can't wait to see that stuff. Yeah. What are you going hunting for? So we're going, uh, it's just my wife and I, the kids yep. are going to stay with the grandparents. Um, we're going after uh, Impala, Wildebeest, Warthog, and uh, Gemsbach. But I am also a opportunist. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see if we can cut deals with uh, the guide. And, you know, if that's there and maybe it's on a farmer's field or something doing damage that he's got to deal with. You know, yeah. Who knows? Be, who knows? I'll, I'll be more than happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. That's exciting, man. Wow. That's going to be crazy. Yeah. It's going to be pretty neat. And then when we do the, we're, we're going through Kruger park and we're, you know, it's my wife and I, and then the professional hunter, and we're just going to stay in a tent. Okay. So we're, we're tenting with the lions and it's, it's, you know, I've, I've never left North America. So I'm five. I, we're, we're jacked right up. We're, oh, we're, yeah, we're, man. we're ready to go. That's going to be a whole different world, man. Even just the sounds at night and stuff like. Yeah. 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 Wow. Good for you, man. That's exciting. And good for you on the photography, man. I like, and keep it up because you're good. You know what I mean? Like you. you have a very good eye and I can, I can relate because like I film my hunts and I'm probably a better filmer than a photographer. I try my best, but even I used to come back from failed hunts and it was a bit of an issue with my wife because I'd, I'd be really cranky if I didn't put something down. And there was yeah. a lot of not putting things down <laughs> for so 70 to 90, 95% of the time. It's, it's, yeah. That, that's yeah. mine. <laughs> and she'd be like, this is, you, you got to get your shit together because you, you're not allowed to take off for a week and a half and leave me with the kid and then come home and be a dick. Yeah. And I noticed when I started coming home with the films it like kind of gave me something to focus on just yeah. like editing the photos. And then it was like, I still felt like I had something like yeah. I, I wasn't coming home empty handed and then editing the photos and putting the videos together. It took my mind. It let me kind of go back into the hunt, but like, I don't know, just expend some energy. And it, I, it wasn't such a sharp, like you're in, you're doing it and then you're out and it's just over. And yeah. that like kind of withdrawal that you go through when you're like come back out, especially these deeper hunts, man. Like 
it's not like flicking a light switch. Like oh. it takes your mind a little, and I try and talk about that with people. Like you come back, but you're not back. And it takes yeah. you a while to like sync back up with the pace that everyone is operating. And I find working on my videos and working on my photos, it kind of bridges that gap a little bit for me and smooths out the transition from, you know, kind of one mindset to the other mindset. It makes me a little bit easier to deal with, I think. Oh, a hundred percent. I, 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 Fully disagree after you spend two weeks in the bush when you, or I don't know if I say disagree, did I say agree? I don't, <laughs> but when I, when, you, when you spend two, two weeks in the bush and you come back and you, yeah, it's, it's, it's not normal when you're back for a bit. It's not mentally, physically, you're like, you can feel changes. It's yep. every day you wake up and it's like, it's a little bit more different. It's like, Oh, that's weird. But yeah. It, it really started to notice that the past few years, you know, not so much when I was, you know, in the, in my twenties and but as you start paying attention to yourself more as you get a little bit older, I should say older, I'm still mid thirties, but you, I noticed what you're saying, like quite a, quite a bit, like you, it, it takes you a little bit to adjust and that yeah. the, the, filming and pictures it's it's definitely helped with that yeah and you if if i use it for a lot of the times i'm using it for scouting so it's right. it, it's a, i'm scouting so i'm, I'm hunting but i don't have a gam camera i got my gun or if i don't have a gun i got my camera and uh yeah it's it's you you got something to come home with no matter what that's <laughs> it so yeah, it's exactly. all, it always feels successful. Even if you don't even see animals and you're out there and you're like, well, you're taking pictures, you, you find that good picture and you, you still, you still feel like you accomplished something. I shouldn't say it's always about accomplishing something either. Like to me, just being out in the bush is the best part of it all. Connecting with nature, being out there. It's not, not about coming home with something, but that definitely with the photography, it does add that little bit, little bit of something there. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still trying to work on that. And, and I, like, I'm trying to get closer to that. Cause I do still, I have issues separating that. And I do, I do, I think I've described it as being too goal focused to be present sometimes. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make it more stressful than it should be because I'll realize by like the second or third day, it's like, are you even here, man? Because it's like, all you're thinking about is how you can put something down. And it's like, there's all this crazy shit going on that you're not even paying attention to. And then, or I'll get to the second half of the trip and that anxiety starts to sink in because you feel that clock ticking and like the time's just going away. And then I'm just, you know, oh, I've only got four days left. Oh, I've only got three days left. And I start, I start getting full of anxiety. So... Yeah, start well, making I, stupid yeah. mistakes and yeah, and just to focusing on the wrong things and that. So like, I am. That's one of my things that I'm like actively trying to work on is just being more present. I'll never get away from yeah. I want to be successful, and I think it's okay to want to be successful, but I don't think you have to do that at the exclusion of everything else. I think there is there is a middle of the road there. There's a happy medium where you can still enjoy yourself and have a good time 
and and bring the stress level down a little bit. You know, like none of yeah. us are making our living. Guys like me and you is like we're not making our livings out there. We're not, you know, this is not we're going to go home to a family that loves us, to bills that are paid and to a job that's got to be done on Monday. So like let's yeah. actually put this where it belongs, do you know what I mean? And yeah. and give it the amount of energy that it that it deserves. Cuz I think it's easy to get wrapped up and think it's more important. Or oh, yeah. that the success or failure is more important out there than it really is. Oh, yeah. there's always that pressure that sets in, and yeah. But you know, it's I that was that was like that actually you know, for quite a while. It was you you almost felt like a failure if you didn't take something. It's like oh, you're looking 100%, at it wrong, man. And then that's that's what it was. I was just looking at it wrong. Yeah, and I went through. Uh, a dry spell for, you know, for me, a dry spell it was a couple of years and it was, it was, it was taxing, but by the end of it, it's, it's like, I, these were some of the best trips I ever had. Right. Never shot anything. You know, we weren't always coming home empty handed, but I wasn't shooting anything. And it was, but it was, yeah, there were great times spent with family, friends, sitting around a fire just reminiscing, you know, staring at the stars, doing whatever, shooting the shit, just being, being real. Yeah. Which you know, a lot of us in our daily lives, we, <laughs> we don't get that chance to be real or putting on the, the happy face at work. <laughs> yep. hundred percent. So. Listen, man, I, I know it's, it's getting late and we both got work in the morning. I think that's a perfect kind of note to wrap things up on I'll I'm going to stick your Instagram um in the show notes just because I think just for the photography alone you're a really good guy to to follow and I do I like seeing the adventures with the kids and stuff too because it's like you're kind of three four five years ahead of me in that regard so it's good to see because it's like gives me something to shoot for and you can tell that keeping your family involved is in your hunting has been a priority for you and that's something that I just I really respect because I think it's easy to get to get lost, but anything you want to, you want to say or, or wrap on, wrap up on or anything we didn't hit up. Uh, I'd be doing a disservice. So I didn't throw out, join a, a conservation organization of some sort. Um, you know, I'll be a little bit biased towards the wild sheep society of BC. Always your money is going back into the ground, but you know what? There's, there's lots of other ones out there that are doing good too. And, just do your part if you can afford it or if you can volunteer, do what you need to do, but you got to stay focused on conservation because without conservation, we don't have hunting. So. Yeah. Well said. And you do just, you know, you, you play a bigger than average role and I kind of wanted to give you a night off without the professional hat, but you definitely deserve, you know, a nod of respect for the role you play at the wild sheep society. Um, and they're, they're an organization I'm coming to feel pretty closely aligned with. I'm a member and I like, and I, I like the way you said it earlier too. Like, I don't think you necessarily have to be a diehard sheep guy. I, I, I have a lot of trust in how the money gets spent at wild sheep society. So even if you're not, you know, going to be hunting sheep for the rest of your life, I think they're a good organization to get behind. Not that other ones, there's lots of other good ones out there as well, but I think some are, maybe a little more fiscally responsible or have a longer history or whatever than, than some of the other ones. And yeah. Wild Sheep Society is definitely one of the ones that 
I feel very comfortable, you know, getting behind and belonging to and supporting. Yeah. Well, it's a interjector for quickly is uh contrary to popular belief, but our projects don't just benefit sheep. Right. If, unless it's a disease thing, all our other projects benefit a variety of ungulates and all sorts of animals. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, we, we always look past it for, for sheep first and foremost, but all of our habitat enhancement projects all help ungulates of all, all sorts. So. Yeah. That's badass. All right, Greg, thank you very much, my friend. Thanks you for, you know, for taking the time. This is a great conversation. I feel like I got to go call my old man now and talk about hunting. <laughs> Sounds good. Glad I could help. <laughs> all right, man. Have yourself a good night. Yeah, you too. Cheers. <laughs>